Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. Here to be an expert. How's science doing? <laughs> oh, I think science is chugging along. I think it had a slow year because of the pan. Well, it had simultaneously a very mm-hmm. slow year and a very fast year. Everybody's yeah, yeah, paying yeah. too much attention to it. Mm-hmm. Science hates to be the center of attention. <laughs> We like being in our little corners, you know, just like doing mm-hmm. research. And then after years and years of working on one problem, uh, showing up with a third of a solution, being like, progress. What a very science expert answer. <laughs> uh, we're also joined by our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Howdy, y'all. <laughs> Is that what the regular people say? <laughs> no, that's what I say now. <laughs> it's my new thing. <laughs> you say howdy. Y'all. I, I say howdy, and I never knew it until I went to Australia and people were like, do you actually say that in America? <laughs> Sometimes for fun. It's a fun thing no, to say. No, I, I definitely say howdy. I just never realized it. Um, so this is SciShow Tangents. Every week we try to one-up and amaze each other and delight each other and also delight you with science facts while also trying to stay on topic and failing at that. So Sari and Sam are playing for glory, and they're also playing for Hank Bucks, which we will award as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. As always, now we shall introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem, and it's from me this time. Don't poke me, I bleed. 
My epidermis has not the toughness it needs. Don't do it. My skin is just a flimsy membrane far too thin. Please wait, just wait, as I slowly strap on my breastplate and my visor and my helm, these things that help me guard my realm, my gauntlets and my tacits. How else can I ensure these assets? My pauldron and boiled leather, they keep me safe in any weather. My placard, rebrace and greaves, and sabatons upon my feet. <laughs> and now I'm fully dressed, a knight, ready to fight in any fight. So long as you're willing to wait, I can be safe from any fate. Our topic for the day <laughs> is armor. Don't do it, my skin. <laughs> <laughs> I had to look up a diagram of a knight. Several of those words, I do not know what they mean. I know them from playing video games. Yeah. The sabatons yeah. are the shoes. Sari, what is armor? Well, it's basically that. It's it's protection. Would my skin be armor? Because it does protect me from some stuff. Yeah. I, I think it's very subjective what we call armor right. or not. To a pile of mucus, our skin looks like pretty oh, good yeah. armor. But mm -hmm, to like a mm -hmm. lizard, our skin weak bad <laughs> boo boo yeah. yeah and then to to a tortoise a lizard is like you gooey goosh mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah so if you're like slightly less gooey compared to someone else then you have mm -hmm. armor but then you can also apply artificial armors and then that's definitely armor because it is you know in comparison to the thing that it's covering mm -hmm. so armor is both a thing that we imagine other animals having because we don't have it and a thing that we make for ourselves. And in, in most cases, we refer to armor as something hard. Like skin is soft, and mm. so questionably armor. But when we look at animals and we say, that's armor, right, it's like right. a turtle shell or something that's really mineralized or bony or has yeah. keratin as its main mm -hmm. structural component. So that if you were to knock on it, it'd be like, ooh, that's hard. Or like a bug, it's like, ooh, that's crunchy. So you're saying, you're saying that my toes have special toe armor. Yeah. Well, toe helmet on them. <laughs> and we all have helmets, yeah, because we have character. Yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know that that's doing Wait, much good. our hair? Is that what you're talking about? Well, it's 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 keratin, yeah. but I don't okay. know. I don't think that it's doing the armor job. I mean, maybe it's like protecting us from certain rays and stuff, right? It's an armor against some things. Yeah, I don't think you can call like sunscreen armor. I think you could. Fingernails armor, I think. It's like, oh, there's the soft bit, and then you can tap on it and be like, that's not as soft. I get asked all the time why we have fingernails, and I do not have a good reason. Are there any clawless, like, mammals or things like that that have gotten rid of these little <laughs> keratin deposits on their on their toes? Sari, you are the resident science expert. <laughs> oh, you can't no. ask these questions. No, <laughs> I don't know the answer. I, and it may be it may be that I would, but I I can't think of any. And yeah, in fact, I can't really think of any tetrapods that don't have fingernails. Yeah. I ask because that's my reasoning. It's like, well, we just haven't evolved to not have them. Everyone has them. And maybe right. check back in a couple hundred thousand years and humans will just have nubs. They're definitely useful for like fine manipulation, scratching, picking yeah. the nose, getting out a splinter, stuff mm -hmm. like that. But at this point, we have got we got tools for all that stuff. I don't. And we don't actually, is there a special nose picking tool that I don't know about? That little thing you put in babies' noses that sucks the boogers out. Yeah, we had one of those, but we don't use it anymore. It's like some, it's like Swedish. I don't know if it was actually Swedish, but it's some, some European country was like, <laughs> there's too much snot in there. I need a device for, for literally using my own lungs to suck 
boogers out of a child. I meant the this is real. Ball. What are you this talking is real. About? Oh yeah. no. There's like a there's like a device in the front where the booger gets stuck. It doesn't get <laughs> okay. all the like it, it's it would be very difficult, possibly impossible to get the booger to your mouth. Ugh. Too close for comfort still though. How did babies survive without booger suckers? <laughs> did they just like You just gotta suck them out mouth to nose. <laughs> you know what I think? Boogers what? are armor. In their own way, I guess kind of they do. They do like sort of trap foreign bodies. Can we move on though <laughs> before we find out how everything is armor? Sari, what is where's the word armor come from? It's not going to help our case that uh, of limiting armor. So uh. armor, <laughs> the word is from around 1300, which means defensive covering worn in combat, like a knight's armor or means of protection. Mm. But it comes from arm and arma, which is weapons. Oh, arms. And tools. Mm-hmm. And then the the root R means just to fit together. Like all the pieces of armor fit oh. together. So by those definitions, armor is both defensive and offensive. Right. And if you just like put a puzzle together, That's maybe also. armor. <laughs> Boogers all fit together in your nose. Is it, oh, God. Is it? Is it? Uh, related to the arms that, you know, I have on my body? I think they come from the same root. I think upper limbs of our bodies is related to, like, weapons of Mm. a warrior with the root R to fit Mm. together. So, like, your body parts fit together, your shoulder fits into your arm. And also, these boys are weapons. (laughs) Lethal. Yeah, it's the original watch out for these guns (laughs) joke. Really scary. Yeah. That means that it's time to move on to the quiz portion of our show. I have a game that I would like you two to play against each other to see who um, is going to win. That's mostly all (laughs) we will find out. We will not find out much more than that. But the game is called This or That, and this is the armor edition of This or That. So when it comes to armor, you don't always need a giant heavy suit of metal to protect yourself. Sometimes you just need some good materials and a little clever engineering, both of which you can find in laboratories and in nature, in the wild. The following are descriptions of materials that have gone into making armor. Some of them belong to animals, and some of them are the work of scientists developing new armor technology. Can you tell me which one is which? And I've got three for you, so get ready. Number one, sometimes it's not just about the material that makes up the armor, but the structure of the empty space inside it. This material is very light, but it gets its strength from the complex fractal structures inside it that create many, many empty spaces less than 100 micrometers apart from each other. The shape and location of those empty spaces works to dissipate the shockwaves on the material when faced with impact. Is that Human-made armor or nature-made armor? Oh, this is going to be a hard Mm. game. This is just going to be me guessing completely. (laughs) I feel like all armor is based on, like, shells and stuff like that. So it's not like, no, 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 no. No, it's not? I think, honestly, I don't think so. I think that that nobody who got stabbed was like, let's go and look to nature. And then they were like, let's cover up the part where people get stabbed on with stuff that can't get stabbed. Yeah, they didn't invent the word till the 1300s, though. Maybe they didn't have the idea until then, either. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they just called it shells. Man shells. I'm clam man. You can't kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clam man was the best warrior of all time until the 1300s when everybody was clam man. Well, I'm going to think, I'm going to say this is some kind of bug. 
Sam thinks bug. Sam thinks bug. <laughs> I guess just to switch it up, I'll go man-made because we can we can blow a bunch of little chambers into things. That sounds like carbon nanotubes or something like that. <laughs> well, researchers at Los Alamos 3D printed tiny plastic cubes with even tinier fractal voids inside of them that they could very precisely place. In the past, similar shockwave dissipation technologies have been more randomly distributed, but this technology allowed them to pursue a more precise and reproducible design that could potentially be used as a protective armor for humans and for our vehicles. Sari gets a point. Not a bug. Not a bug. Fact number two, or, or thing number two. <laughs> this armor gets its strength from the fact that it is a hydrogel, a mixture that's 90% water that's mixed with a fibrous material. Those fibers cross-link together into layers, and as they stack, they begin to resemble the structure of plywood. A section of this hydrogel that is only about a quarter of a millimeter thick can have tens of thousands of those layers, creating a material that is as strong as the materials used to make car tires. Uh, I was going to say it was a plant until you said plywood. I feel like that's too on the nose. Mm. I mean, a hydrogel. That sounds like something somebody in a lab's got to make to me. I'm going to go with man-made. I'm going to go with some sort of like sea creature. <gasps> is it a lobster? It is a lobster. Whoa. <laughs> oh, what? So uh, specifically the soft hydrogel membrane covers lobster bellies. Scientists comparing this hydrogel to other natural hydrogels like collagen and natural rubber found that it is the toughest natural hydrogel. For many of these other hydrogels, stretching the material causes it to become softer, but for the lobster hydrogel, stretching caused the material to become stiffer and tougher. The toughness of the material protects the lobster from predators as well as from rocks on the ocean floor, while the flexibility makes it possible for lobsters to move the rest of their armored body around because, of course, they need to move those big tails for when they go want to go fast. That's really cool. They have cool. little tire bellies, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Underneath their, uh, you know, plates. Well, okay. lobsters, like, well protected. Yeah. They got to figure it out. Do you guys want to know why the scientists decided to look into this? Yeah. They were eating a lobster and they were like, this part is really chewy. <laughs> <laughs> so always be on the lookout for great great new sources of inspiration and our final our final armor of the game creating armor for appendages and limbs requires some careful thinking of how best to balance strength with pragmatic needs like movement luckily there's a shape for that squares this armor is made up of 36 square plates stacked on top of each other, which provides protection from impact because these square plates move less compared to circular plates. But the armor also contains strategically placed joints that allow the plates to slide against each other, providing flexibility for the wearer. Are there squares in nature? Probably a little like diatoms and something are square, mm. right? Oh yeah, diatoms are squares. They're squares in nature. Okay. There are squares in nature, Sari, because you're a square and you're part of nature. <laughs> oh! <laughs> wow! wow. Yeah, well, he had, to, he had to fight back after last week. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. You're going to make me guess first, huh? No, I'll guess first. I'm going to guess an animal okay. because I don't think it's possible. It, it sounds so bizarre to me. Like, it sounds so obvious that humans would be like, oh, yeah, squares. And there's going to be a weird animal with square scales that I just don't know about. 
I think this one's a red herring. It sounds too weird to be an animal, but it is. That you have have the correct instinct. This is a seahorse's tail. Seahorse tails are made up of 36 bony square-like plates that get smaller as you go down the tail. Researchers created 3D printed models of a seahorse tail along with analogous versions made with circular plates to study how the tail helps protect the seahorse. In addition to the flexibility and response to impact, the structure of the tail helps the seahorses grab things more efficiently. We should have square fingers then by that. Well, we kind of do. Yeah. Now that you've said it's kinda it, square. there's definitely a, a little rectangle in the middle bit there. Yeah, it's not round. Mm. I've been the square <laughs> all along. <laughs> <laughs> She's been a square all along. Uh, we all knew. We just didn't want to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, you got all of them correct. And Sam, you got one of them correct. So oh, you have no. a bit of a hole to dig yourself out of as we head into the next round. But first, it's time for a short break. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Factor, whose ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning. Stress is stressful. I don't like it. (laughs) Life just goes and goes, and it doesn't ever stop going. There's always something else to do. And one of those things is a very important thing, called eating dinner. To eat dinner, one must pick out what they want to eat and then go to the grocery store and then buy the stuff and then chop the stuff and do other things to the stuff. You have to heat the stuff and put it in water. And then afterwards, you have to take the things that you heated it in and they're gross and you have to make them clean again. Meanwhile, life is still happening that all all that's building up around you. Oh, this is like terrifying. I'm so, <laughs> I never want to cook again. <laughs> You're right, Factor Ad. I don't. I don't want to have this happen. This is unacceptable. Sometimes, uh, parentheses, all the time, uh, you just don't have the time or the energy for meal planning on top of everything else going on in your life. So thankfully, Factor is here to help. Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon come mealtime. You can get chef-crafted meals that are better for you and better tasting than takeout delivered right to your door ready to heat and ready to eat. No prep, no mess, no sink full of dishes, no stress. We're kicking stress out the door in 2024, and I certainly hope that's true for me. <laughs> Heck yeah, Factor. Kick my stress. Right out the door. <laughs> I'm going to get a chest freezer just for these meals. <laughs> oh, you're going to need one because they have over 35 meals to choose from. Flexible ordering options, add-ons, smoothies. Factor offers all sorts of fast, simple solutions when you're too busy to cook. Banish your stress, even if it's just for like one hour while you're eating dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash tangents50 and use code tangents50 to get 50% off. That's code tangents50 at factormeals.com slash tangents50 to get 50% off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. 
but Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for the Fact Off. Our panelists have brought science facts to present in an attempt to blow my mind. After they have presented their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. And to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. Scale armor, thought to be a precursor to chainmail, is just what it sounds like. Small individual pieces of protective material attached and layered like scales onto a wearable garment. The result is that the wearer is moderately protected from weapons while being able to move and, you know, also look like a human-fish hybrid. And just like fish, scale armor is very old. The earliest known representation of scale armor dates back to what century B.C.? Oh, no. That's when they never start going backwards. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's when I really stopped knowing when things happened. I'm going to say... We're getting close to uh, like the sixth century. Okay. I don't know what was happening mm. in the world at that time. So it is truly just a number. Okay. The first thing that popped into my head was the third century. So I'll go with the third century. We have a winner and that winner is Sari Riley because it's the 15th century. Oh my BC. God. And that's, that's the 1400s. So that's how that works. How exactly? I don't know. Well, it's the same way that we're in the 20th. First century. First century. Oh, yeah. yeah. We messed up somewhere along the way. That first one is just a bunch of zeros. Yeah. <laughs> Screws everything up for the rest of the time. Sam, you can go first. I don't want to, but okay. <laughs> when you think of armor, as we've talked about a lot already, you might think of a knight in a shining set of metal plate or a soldier wearing a flak jacket, you know, like in general combatty stuff. But there are creatures out there that have picked such extreme places to live that they need armor just to survive. And fairly recently, scientists have found an extremophile with a pretty sweet suit of armor. Hmm. That'll be funny in retrospect. (laughs) (laughs) In 2019, researchers at the University of Virginia's School of Medicine were studying Sulfolobus islandicu, a single-celled organism. That was probably nailed that pronunciation. That lives in acidic volcanic hot springs, like almost in any one you could think of. They live there like they live in Yellowstone. They were trying to figure out what made them so indestructible, specifically because they have these little appendages called pili, which didn't look to them like they would be particularly sturdy. And Mm -hmm. they probably should have broken down in extreme environments, but they're covered in these things. So the team tried to dissolve the organisms and their pili to investigate what they're made out of. And everything that they tried up to boiling them in lye did not work or break them down in any capacity. So they had to turn to cryo-electron microscopy, which uses electron beams to look at frozen samples of super delicate and small structures that would otherwise be burned up or damaged by regular electron microscopes. 
And another advantage to them that I didn't really understand, and maybe you can help me with this, is that you don't have to crystallize the thing that you're looking at like you do with an X-ray microscope. So from my understanding, that has something to do with maintaining the structure of the thing that you're looking at and not just like what it's made out of. Is that pretty mm-hmm. much right? Y- yes, I think okay. you are correct. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so X- X-ray microscopy basically like relies on you t- turning something into a crystal and then you see how those individual molecules fit together and that tells you about the bonds. Whereas it's not actual, it's not like an actual picture. Hmm. It's like data that tells you about the bonds. Oh, okay. What they found was that the pili are covered in a shell of sugar described as similar to how the outer shell of a candy apple is much harder than what it's surrounding. So researchers already knew that sugars could be added to things like protein structures to increase their strength, but nobody as far as they knew had ever seen sugar armor that was like used to this extent to basically cover the entirety of the outside of something and make it nigh indestructible. <laughs> I mean, on on its scale. And it's pilly. I just looked pilly? it up. Pilly? Wow. I never would have guessed that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. On the pilly, the sugars are arranged in a way that make them completely stable. So they resist breaking down in any kind of corrosive substance. So I think lye is a base and they live in acid. So you just right. can't mess with these guys. The researchers aren't sure how they make their sugar armor or if we would be able to recreate it. But if we could hypothetically apply sugar armor to stuff, we could make like almost anything indestructible on an atomic level. And some mm-hmm. of the stuff that they that they thought we could use this for was to make indestructible clothing or put them in med- medicines and pharmaceuticals to make things like vaccines that are super stable. Or you could add them to like the atomic structure of things like building materials and maybe make bricks that would never weather. Candyland is the most powerful place on the whole planet. Yeah. Uh-huh. You thought you thought that it was just for all fun and games. Turns out you cannot assail Candyland. Indestructible. <laughs> What is it about this sugar that makes it so indestructible? Well, yeah, so I was going to say, I don't think it's the fact that it's sugar. I think it's more the fact that it's like mm. locked together in a way that there's nothing for it to lose right. or gain or whatever. All the atoms or whatever are spoken for. Indestructible microbe. They took it from acid and put it in base and it was like, I don't care. I'm okay. I can live anywhere. Yeah. Put me on an asteroid. Send me to Mars. I'll panspermia this whole business. <laughs> Sari, what do you got? Well, a little bigger than this little guy and not as sugary. I am going to talk about chitons, which are mollusks like snails. And if you haven't seen one before, I would imagine a snail getting flattened into a pancake, shell and all. Um, Or you can just Google it. And chitons live in the rocky area where the ocean tides move in and out called the intertidal zone. Mm. And they have one big foot to glom onto rocks. And a really strong tongue-like radula that scrapes algae and other stuff to eat. And a flat shell made of around eight interlocking calcium carbonate plates for protection. And this armor has integrated tiny sensory organs called aesthetes that roughly detect Mm. light or chemicals or other stuff so that chitons can make choices about their environment without really exposing their tasty flesh. They're protected but can kind of gather information. But researchers have looked extra close at the West Indian fuzzy chitin since the late 1800s because this species is one of several that has evolved even more specialized aesthetics, hundreds of eyes. And these eyes have around 100 retinal cells 
each, which are structurally similar to those of snails and slugs. But what's extra cool is that the eyes are completely integrated into their armor because the lenses are made of the same mineral. They're transparent calcium carbonate crystal structures called aragonite. Over time, the eye lenses can get worn down naturally like the rest of their armor, so they all need to be continuously generated and replaced like all mollusk shells. And these crystal armor eyes serve two main purposes. One, providing continuous armor instead of a bunch of weak spots. And two, focusing light both in and out of water, which is great for being in a tidal, in an intertidal zone. They're not like fantastic eyes. Uh, recent studies have found that all the sight data combined from all the eyes can help chitons detect shadowy shapes so they know to clamp down harder on their rock to avoid being sucked up by a hungry predator like fish or crustaceans or octopuses. And I'll include a picture in the show notes. It's like the, the rough outline of a fish. The researchers who were measuring this or like measuring the eyes and their vision capabilities would pass mm-hmm. different shadows over them and measure how much they like sucked onto their surface below. So they like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I just imagine butt clenching, but it's really foot clenching where they like right. grab on harder so they are less likely to be able to be like scooped up and eaten. Mm-hmm. Researchers think it makes evolutionary sense that they've developed hundreds of not-so-perfect eyes rather than one giant armor eye that's great at seeing because we've all played video games and know the one giant eye is the weak spot, so Mm -hmm. that won't do. (laughs) Uh It's a good job, Chitons, for making the most of of their weird ecological niche. That's super cool. Uh, There's something very strange to me about an animal that is covered in eyes, Uh, also that those eyes are made of rock. Mm All right, so I've, I can I, I have to choose from tiny, extraordinarily armored extremophiles, and their armor turns out to be made of sugar polymers, or a very bizarre alien-looking organism that has rock eyes. I've got to go with Sari. That's yes. very weird. <laughs> Well, that means it's time. First of all, that means that Sari has won our episode of SciShow Tangents. But it also means that it's time for Ask the Science Couch, where we've got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. And it's from at Simfing12. Why don't any living animals have the armor of Stegosaurus or Ankylosaurus? That's a fantastic question. Because mm-hmm. uh, wild, just wild. When those things were first discovered, the people must have been like, what? Are you joking? But yeah, great big armored animals. And those stegosaur plates look wrong. Yeah. And then those like clubby tails with giant spikes on them. Well, stegosaurus had spikes on their tails, right? Yeah, they had spiky tails. It's like like aren't like antlers on your butt. Sari, <laughs> do you have anything for me on this? Because I have I don't know. Can I venture a guess? Oh, yeah. That Go it was because it. guys with lots bigger mouths were trying to chomp them than there are around now. But I guess to scale, you could have a squirrel with a little spikes on its tail. Yes. Mm, never mind. I retract my guess. You still got big herbivores with like lots of armor. Yeah. Like, like uh, rhinos and elephants. and Anybody with antlers. Yeah. But, yeah. It, but from the scientific community, I guess this is a, a strike against the skin is armor. They argue that currently there aren't really a lot of giant herbivores that are armored. Like they have tough skin, but they don't have like the same plate-like structure as these reptiles did it's it's just not a common thing nowadays to have giant organisms with the heavy armor uh i think sam's guess is as good as any 
as far as why. There's one paper that really looked into it, particularly the tail weaponry, because that's just such a bizarre thing, this like big Mm club-like tail, Um, because other animals nowadays attack with their tails, but they don't have the club attached to it. And basically, Mm -hmm. they, they did what scientists do and looked at the animals with these factors compared to the animals without them and tried to draw out common traits. So their guesses are that there are four big things that evolutionarily came together to create these these weaponized tails and big body armor, which was being an herbivore, so being a guy that gets eaten instead of one mm-hmm. of the, the carnivores, being big and chunky, so like over, I think, 200 pounds was their threshold. And the, the last two kind of tie in together, and it's like the structure of their armor and what they call thoracic stiffness. Because it's not easy to swing around a tail like that. So you need that bony Mm. structure on your outside to be able to, like, swing that without ripping off your butt in the process or, like, throwing out your back. And so all these giant herbivores, they were too big to hide and they needed to fight. And they had a strong enough body structure that they could swing around their tail But that also led to other morphological and ecological constraints, like how they were able to lay eggs um, and take care of their young and like other mobility things, which is why they don't think this trait carried on to modern animals. Bony armor like this mainly shows up in medium insectivorous mammals, so like armadillos or pangolins or things like that. So those are now like the ecological niche where being armored can protect you from guys that are bigger than you, but also basically let you live your life, but also move around enough so that you can have your babies and protect them. There's oftentimes not clear answers in evolutionary biology. Like the it it sometimes it's just that things don't happen because like you have to have a lot of things stacking up on each other for it to become possible and advantageous. And you actually do have to have both of those things. Just because something would be advantageous doesn't mean it will evolve because it also has to be like possible for the genes to do that thing. If you want to ask your question to the Science Couch, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out the topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at 11th Night at WatchWild185 and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. If you like our show and you want to help us out, please go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents to become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes, which we recorded the first one of today. It was a lot of fun. We're a bunch of goofballs. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell Tell people people about about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our social media organizer is Paolo Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistant is Tabuki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Medish. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. So thank you to all of you. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing... Land snails have a shell to protect them from predators, but sometimes they get eaten by birds anyway. Luckily, they're small enough that they show up again alive and well in bird poop.
This also allows them to move from from spot to spot more efficiently. Mm. There's a number of animals that are able to be eaten and then get pooped out and, and survive, which is a thing. Not me. There was a, a scientist who saw a, a snake, a very small snake, get pooped out of a frog <laughs> and then was like, well, that is something I got to write a paper on. Uh, so took the snake and it turned out that the snake had, because of a lack of oxygen, was alive but brain damaged Uh-oh. because it had spent so long oh inside the frog. That's a brave frog eating a snake. They look like little worms. <laughs> they're called Bromini blind snakes, and they're not, and they're an invasive species, and like Florida frogs are like, that's a worm. <laughs> uh-huh. And then their whole guts get wiggled through. 